Hello, this is Neil, and welcome to another episode of Grassroots Security. I hope the week has gone well for most. Not for me. Why not? I was afraid for my life with Storm Ellen. Why? You stayed in the house. That is exactly why I was afraid. Really? Care to explain? Do you remember the story of the three little pigs? I don't like where this is going, but go on. Well, your house is like the first pigs. It is made of straw. Well, if you go on like that, someone will be made into straws. As usual with the disclaimer, the opinions here are my own and relying on any information from this podcast is at your own risk. Now on with the show. Microsoft Security's blog entry for August 19 that the pandemic is accelerating the transformation of cybersecurity resonated with a number of organizations. Note, they did not say anything new from a transformation perspective. You will still hear about cloud, resilience, end-user experience, zero trust, etc. But what they are saying is that this transformation accelerated during the pandemic. And I agree with this. Surprise! When the pandemic hit, there were organizations that were better prepared than others just because other organizations have already set up to do remote work. What majority of organizations did not prepare for is that majority of their workforce will be working remotely. And this placed the strain in their infrastructure when, let us say, they only anticipated 30% of their workforce to be working remotely. So a number of organizations had to ramp up their virtual private network or VPN capacity or their remote workspace platforms like Citrix or VMware. What Microsoft said in the blog is in the realm of digital empathy. Digital empathy is relatively a new term coined in 2015 by Christopher Terry and Kane in their research paper on the emerging issue of digital empathy and also in 2016 by Yonti Friesen in a paper called Empathy for the Digital Age. The concepts themselves are not new given that people have been talking about the user experience with digital products since time immemorial. Empathy, as we all know, is basically putting ourselves in the shoes of others where we need to understand what the user experience will be, check what can be improved upon, and act on it. So going back to the effect of the pandemic in remote working, as more people access the applications, or attempt to in a number of cases, people became very frustrated. The applications they were used to accessing were either 1. Unavailable outside of their office, either because the VPN did not have the capacity for it, the software needed to access it was not installed on their laptop that was provided for them, or because of how their computer network was set up, inaccessible from remote networks. Or two, application performance was slow because it relied heavily on a large number of information being transferred between the user's computer and the source of that information. So organizations had to think of ways of addressing these, including increasing the capacity of their VPN infrastructure. This part is not easy, nor a quick solution, as it will typically necessitate the installation of additional hardware, purchasing of additional software licenses, and increasing the network bandwidth going to one's organization. And if you are using a workspace platform like Citrix or VMware, you will also need to onboard your applications to that workspace. Think of it as virtualization for your applications so that they can be accessed nearly anywhere. A number of office-type applications 
can easily be onboarded to that workspace. The issue is that some of your organization's applications may have been custom-built or commercial off-the-shelf software that were not built ready for virtualization. So going back to digital empathy, the idea is that if people are expected to work remotely, then their experience should be similar to as if they are working back in the office. It becomes very frustrating if the application they typically use are not working the way they should be, including if the application is not performing as they expected or if they cannot access it. And to provide the remote access, they need to be secured, otherwise you are just being empathetic to the criminals. It is called hacker empathy. <laughs> Which you don't want. How about carry empathy? Carry, it's not always about you. So going back to the securing of remote access, typically, organizations will implement some form of multi-factor authentication or MFA, like a token or an application installed on your mobile device. You do not want your remote access to be available with just a username and password. Time and time again, if your user gets phished and they enter their account name and password, your user is effectively owned. Which goes to the other point made in the blog, and that is that many are on a zero-trust journey. The zero-trust model was created around 2010 by John Kindervog, who used to work for Forrester Research but is now with Palo Alto Networks. The principle is, never trust, always verify. This not only means outside of your network, but also inside of your network. Implementation of zero-trust is multi-layered wherein you may need to implement network segmentation to separate one environment from another, implement robust authentication that does not only rely on passwords, and controlling what your users can access. That is, what are they authorized to access? I think people will be happy with no access. It means they cannot do work yet they are being paid for it. That may be the case, Carrie, but it's a losing proposition for the organization. From an internal network perspective, this means that you have to identify your key assets, that is, that is, what you want to protect, which includes the data. Zero Trust would often mention the term protect surface. The key thing here is that your protect surface is going to be smaller than the attack surface, which is basically anything that can be accessed. I won't go into too much detail, but the idea is, is that once you have identified those assets, you build a perimeter around those assets so that before you can access that asset, you need to be verified, which typically means you have been authenticated and authorized. And this is even if you are already in the internal network. Please note that this does not mean you have to log in with your username, password, and MFA all the time. There are protocols available, like single sign-on, that improve the user experience. Single sign-on, or SSO, allows for users to log in once but access multiple applications without logging in again for a period of time. And this is going to be a journey. Proponents of Zero Trust often mention you need to take steps and may need to crawl before you can walk or run. So having a face plan is going to be quite important because organizations are unique and your journey will be different from others. I believe Zero Trust networks should be the norm if they are not yet for others. In general, I believe people are ready for zero trust. Whenever they access services on the internet, they need to be verified anyhow. But the key is that it needs to be seamless and not cumbersome 
yet still be secure. Remember single sign-ons? And this links back to digital empathy. So going back to Microsoft's blog, what they are saying is that around 94% of the companies they surveyed are in the process of deploying zero-trust capabilities to some extent. And an average of 50% of those surveyed are even looking at accelerating their adoption due to the pandemic. I've placed the link below to the blog entry from Microsoft as well as to my blog at Grassroots Security. I hope this has been useful and I would love to hear from you. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Slán Gafal. Take care and keep safe.